Evening, everybody, and welcome to our third wellbeing webinar. A big thank you to those of you who have, well, keep returning, and a very warm welcome to those of you that are joining us for the first time. I think there might be a couple of you tonight. Uh, my name's Russell, and I thought we'd start tonight by reminding you who is here with me. And I thought they could each share maybe something positive, a little highlights from their week. So I'm going to start with my partner in crime, Steve. How's your week been? Any highlights? Hello, hello. I had a bit of an up and down week, actually, to be honest. Um, as you know, my partner has had the dreaded virus. Mm. Um, she's been pretty poorly until probably Sunday, I'd say, when finally the antibiotics left a quite a nasty infection. Finally done the trick and it shifted. So home life balance is improving. Oh, looking after three kids and <laughs> over the missus around us, it proved tricky, but um, we survived. We got through it. Well um, yeah, and then the only other positive I thought, Russell, obviously last week I had the joy of going to school on Friday, but making phone calls home to my lovely year six class that I left behind. And actually it's just that real connection with them over the phone when you think they'll be quite, um, quite tricky. It was actually like we're talking within the classroom and actually they, they shared loads of wisdom in what they've been doing outside like the standard learning that we give them. It's lovely to see them developing their life skills and actually spending quality time a lot of them commented that they've seen their dads a lot more than what they're used to seeing at the moment. Mm. It's just that little bit of insight into their life that I was quite touched by. That's nice. And it's easy, isn't it, to get focused on all the things we're missing. But there are, there are definite benefits to this mm. and, uh, the situation we're in. Um, and it's nice that for children, some of them are seeing some little highlights there. That's nice. Yeah. Thanks. Liz and Stu, how has your week been? Welcome back. Yeah, it's great to be back. Well, it's been a, yeah, it's been a good week. And I, I guess one of the things that we've been doing, which I've really enjoyed, is we've, uh, we're very inspired by well-being in our local community. And our local community is Ivy Bridge in Devon. And we've been running um, a couple of introduction webinars to well-being. And then today we started a month-long course with a, a group of uh, about a dozen people who were interested in learning more about becoming well-being listeners. So that's been really great actually, uh, meeting up with people in our community in, in a way that we probably wouldn't have if we were in normal circumstances because a lot of more people are at home and able to access the computer and we're just getting to know people in a different way. So that for me has been a, a real highlight actually. And where we live, we're, we're really lucky that we're, we're right on the edge of Dartmoor, the southern edge of Dartmoor. Um, we, we are within the National Park. So for us, our, our morning routine is an um, amazing walk up on, across the golf course, onto Dartmoor. And um, we do that before breakfast. And it's, it's just so beautiful to be up there and... You know, there's a cuckoo that we, we come across that uh, entertains us. Just seeing the hedges thicken up as, you know, every day is different. And um, finding out about some of the edible stuff that we can find in the hedgerow, that's been quite entertaining and I'm still here to tell the tale. <laughs> it's nice to go at a slightly slower pace. I don't know whether you're finding that's a, a bit of a difference at the moment. Um, when I went for a walk 
earlier with my girls that's probably been my highlight actually um and i know it might sometimes be referred to as kind of mindfulness that just really being present and being in a being in the moment and we passed through a field that we'd never walked through before and the eldest was still in that mode of come on we've got to get back or we could you know charge home and i just said just slow down just look just listen just see what you can see and it was just lovely there were a few moments then where it was almost like she just started to register what was around her a little bit we started having the lovely conversations about the the flowers that were coming out and the and she said something to me what was it oh yeah i said i said listen to that crunch beneath your feet of uh, down the path and she said oh, that reminds me of walking down granddad's gravel pathway and it was just really lovely to for her to pick up on something really poignant for her in that moment so slowing down at the moment is something that i think we should make the most of very relevant to, to what we're here talking about now. yeah so just to remind everybody um this webinar is part of well a series of webinars and if you dip in and out that is absolutely fine don't ever feel that you can't attend one because you missed another one but looking at well-being and resilience during this rather strange time what we're really doing is we're looking at some principles behind what we've been calling this inside out understanding of well-being and when we're talking about principles i just thought i'd start kind of recap by comparing that with say the principles behind our physical health so for example to look after my physical health i know there's some basic principles that i have to understand i know that sleep is really valuable i know that eating and drinking well is important i know that exercise is important and those principles on their own are kind of it if i really understand those things i'll be all right what I can do is get lost in reading millions of blogs and magazines and looking at videos about all the things that I could take up to make me fitter or healthier. The truth is I really just need to understand those basic principles. And when I do, I'm much more likely to decide to live more sort of healthily and look after my body. When people start telling me how I need to be healthy by giving me lists of things to go off and do, I don't know. I just find I resist. I'm not so keen. And really in these webinars, when we're exploring kind of well-being and our mental health, what we think is much more helpful for you is that we explore some basic principles behind um, how well-being, how mental health really works. And then it's really up to you to go away and decide what the actions are. We're not going to ask you to come here, give you a list of things to go away and, and do in your schools or in your personal lives. We're going to explore those basic principles of the inside out understanding of well-being and we'll look at them within the context of a theme and you can go away and you can take from that kind of whatever you whatever you want to so Liz and Stu I wondered whether you wouldn't mind doing a very brief recap of those principles of the inside out understanding of well-being and I know that, that essentially is hard to uh, narrow down to just a few comments but just a quick recap for us yeah thanks Russell and it's a lovely segue into trying to describe something that's very difficult to describe but um, in the same way as you've articulated that you know for our physical well-being we understand that you know get a good night's sleep look after ourselves eat well um, have a, a degree of fitness in, in our lives seems to be um, a, a bit of a regular recipe for um, you know a healthy body 
And, and when we understand that, we, we can make provisions to accommodate that in our lives. You know, when we really experience it and we, and we feel that that is, is, is what we want in our lives, then we, we're inclined to you know, sleep well, eat well, etc. And the same goes for our psychological well-being. But there's a difference. Our assertion in, in the work that we do is that conventionally there is a misunderstanding of how the mind works, how we operate as human beings. And it's, it's this that's the, the real significant difference in what we rely on for our training and for our coaching and, and what has made the, the, the biggest difference in <clears throat> certainly in our lives and in the lives of people that we've been working with. So what we're saying there is that conventionally we, we look outside to, to improve our circumstances of well-being, which we, we then think is going to make us feel better. And what we're saying here is that actually we need to go inward. That's the source of our well-being. We're inclined to look outside at circumstances as being responsible for the way that we feel. You know, that, that parent upset me. My circumstances at, at work aren't good enough and I'm really depressed about it. And on and on. That, that's conventionally what we tend to look at as being the cause of our, in that case, poor well-being. Well, actually, what we're saying here is that that, that can't be so. And, and we're inviting you in these calls um, and in between these calls to, to, to challenge that, to test that for yourselves. Because one day something may look rubbish and the next day the very same thing, you just sail through it, you don't even notice it. But what's going on there? What's different? And what we say there is that there's something else that is in play and it's often the thing that we tend to discount, ignore, forget. It's about how we are operating from the inside out. And that's maybe my shorthand version of really what we're pointing to. Did you want to add to that? Yeah, and just to add to that, um, we, we can conventionally, and certainly with all, all the training that we've done, and, and we've done a lot of training as coaches, and I also trained as a counsellor, the one thing that's made the biggest difference, I think, when it, came, it comes to well-being is understanding that well-being is constant in our life. We are actually, we are made of well-being and resilience, mm. and that is our default. And what gets in the way of that is our, is our thinking and our thoughts and our moods and our feelings. And, and those are transient, they come and go. But the, the, the kind of knowing, deeper intelligence of well-being is always there. And, and for me, that's probably the, the key difference is that I used to think that my well-being came and went. But now I see that my well-being is constant. And it's just my thinking and my moods and my thoughts. But they, they're the things that come and go. Mm. And that's probably made the biggest difference, I think, for the way that I navigate through my own life. Mm. And, and just to add again to that, that again, fundamentally, we're, we're all okay. 
at our core, psychologically, fundamentally, we are okay until thoughts and feelings get in the way. And it's the same for everybody here on this call. It's the same for the children at your schools. It's the same for the parents and all your colleagues. And it, at times, it probably doesn't look that way. But it's, it's really, I'm really curious about how it looks when you're having a conversation with, um, with maybe children, when your starting point is that actually the behavior is one thing, but beyond that, they're okay. Fundamentally, they're okay. And um, when their mind settles, we can have a conversation. I'm just sort of curious about, about that, how that sort of shows up for you, as opposed to having a conversation with somebody who's, you know, again, the, the expression we hear often is that the, the child is broken. And I just wonder if, um, if, if that sort of conversation resonates with you, Russell. It does. Um, listening to you there, one of the things that's been like a really, I don't know, something I've really seen anew in the last couple of weeks is that idea that my moods aren't a reflection of my well-being and I think it's really easy to conflate your your moods with your well-being isn't it and think that if I feel a particular way today then I must you know I must not be okay and then you go about trying to fix the mood um, and then the mood sticks and that's something that I find really interesting and that would really encourage people to get curious about because I think people seem to get quite quickly that um, that their experience of the world is self-generated. It is something to do with their thinking. But then the danger, the trap there is that they then go about trying to fix the thinking and the moods. And we talked about that a bit, didn't we, in the last um, webinar that actually it's almost like when we try and grab the mood or the thought or, or uh, kind of put a sock in it, it just gets noisier. And it, there's something about just kind of accepting where you're at and, and not fighting it, which can be really hard when you're feeling really low, can't it? Yeah, it, it really can. I understand, and particularly for, for the way that I used to work, I, I, with, with all the training that I've been on and all the techniques and strategies that I had, I, I felt like I had this extraordinary sort of toolbox of uh, techniques that I should be able to use on myself if I felt low. And it was like, I need to get to work on myself. I'm obviously not doing life right. And you're absolutely right. There's a big difference in just understanding that there was nothing wrong anyway. We are designed to have our ups and downs and have our different sort of moves that we go through. And um, they, they, they will come and they will go. And there's nothing, there's nothing there to fix. It's a very different kind of space to be in. It's a bit, you know, it's a bit like um, I, I often kind of see moods and thoughts and feelings as, is like spectrums of, of, of color, as the color spectrum. It, it, it's not like, we, we might have preferences as the colors that we like, but we're kind of designed to see them all, see that whole spectrum. Mm. And that's a little bit like that with our moods, is that we, we're just designed to feel them, that's why we feel them. Um, and that, that kind of gives us the richness of what it is to do them. And, and you're absolutely right, often what happens when we find, um, a mood or a thought that we kind of resist, we're pushing away, or we don't want it, 
inadvertently what we're doing is we're having it stick around a bit more. We're kind of looking it up. Mm. And so that's certainly something that I've seen for myself is just, just kind of leave them, leave them alone and they'll go in their own time. Thanks. And I think it's really easy to see that in others rather than ourselves sometimes, isn't it? You know, when I think of the children we work with, my colleagues and myself, I think we're really good at just just being really calm with them when they're in that really whipped up place and we can see that there's a temporariness to what they're experiencing. It it, it, it can almost feel um, amusing that they're taking it so seriously because you just know it's not going to last forever, particularly the younger the child, you know, a three-year-old really losing it over something. You just know within minutes it's gone. Um, but to them in the moment, it, well, it is real. The emotion's real but they're treating the thought that they're having as if it's, it's gospel and it's something to be taken really seriously. Yet we as adults do the exact same thing, don't we? We, we get focused on a thought or something that's bothering us and we just won't let go of it ourselves sometimes. And that, yeah, it's kind of a, a bit of a form of self-talk sometimes that we all innocently do. Um, do you think it's easier to see it in others, uh, that happening, than it is ourselves? Well, just, just want to pick you up as well, what you said about the three-year-old like a three-year-old, I mean, I think that's a brilliant illustration of almost how we're supposed to experience thoughts and feelings. Because they kind of rush in and then they rush away, don't they? One minute a child is having an absolute meltdown tantrum and, and then the next, they're, they're right back in the moment of just whatever's in front of them. And I think the difference with us as we get older is that we, we tend to resist that, those waves of emotion more than children and that almost has them hang around a bit more it, and, and, and we're not saying to children they shouldn't have tantrums or they shouldn't be upset we kind of understand that's just the nature of what it is they feel things so intensely and then they're on to the next thing and that's just, just natural way of being as, as, as a human being whether you're young or old i must plug that point a great book by emma turner who we had on another podcast called be more toddler where she examines these intuitive behaviours of toddlers and how being a mum, she's kind of learnt so much from them in the way they deal with things. So it's a great, uh, a great lesson on leadership, be more toddler if you, you, you get time to read that book. All right, so we have picked a theme for tonight that we felt was relevant to pretty much everyone in education at the moment, which was that we're kind of all adapting to really new ways of working. Um, and I, I was before we started recording, I was I was having a chat with Sandy about the fact that I feel in a really odd place. I've gone from last week being in school, running the school because myself and the head are, are on a kind of on a timetable in at different times. And just really being present and in the moment for the school, for the children, for colleagues and had a really, really good week. And, and then suddenly, just like that, this week, I'm. At home I'm dad again I'm meant to be homeschooling which I'm doing really badly at um, I'm also getting like marvelously distracted by any job around the house that I think probably needs doing and sort of seeing that this is a golden time to maybe get on top of a few of those things and but simultaneously answering emails and things so we're all kind of flitting between these different ways of working and all the other responsibilities we might have at the moment and Steve you kind of put something out on Facebook I think earlier just asking for people's responses about how they're finding that and what they're finding tricky and I don't know whether there's a few examples you could share of, of the sorts of things people were saying they were finding interesting at the moment. Yeah sure 
I mean, I don't know if anyone's a member of our group uh, on Facebook. We're making an impact education. but We put a poll up really late last night, ironically. Um, and the poll was examining our work-life balance, looking at how we can support our career and our teaching whilst also maybe supporting children at home. And um, in a really rapid time, we had 364 people respond. Um, and out of the 364 people, 256 said that they're finding the current balance either tricky or tough because they're either working on the job so much that they're not spending enough time with their children, or alternatively, their children need so much support and attention with homeschooling that they can't do their own work. Um, on the flip side, only 27 out of that 364 actually said they were coping well and thought that they had a good balance. And obviously, this is the theme that we're discussing tonight. Um, when I really dissected into it, I was really fortunate to have some excellent dialogue with some of the members of our group. A lot of people were saying to try and cope. A strategy would be to wake up extremely early or stay up extremely late. And looking at getting a good couple of hours of work, dedicated time before their children are even up. Um, they're also saying it's trying to find a balance between developing their own children's independence uh, against not doing everything that is set and then feeling an inside guilt uh, for not either supporting their children enough or knowing they're not giving enough to their actual job. Um, we had a couple of people come on and say that in particular single parent families are finding it really difficult to balance anything at the moment with uh, online teaching as well as home learning and that whilst schools are actually, they came out quite well in the people that um, put forward their opinions say that schools are understanding but again people are burdened by this incredible guilt that lies inside of them as they're not able to deliver the best of their ability in mm. either respect. Um, and one person actually, brilliant comment, she just said how heartbreaking it was to actually look at our poll because while she acknowledged why we're doing it and um, it was a great opportunity to gather some data on it, um, she thought that given that her child is in the link year class at her school so she plans for her child across the year at her own setting she was like oh i'm at home now this would be an amazing opportunity to teach my child i know exactly what they need to learn i plan it at school anyway um it's just not happening and there's that element of probably losing your temper a bit quicker with your own child and um just not getting around to the actual envisaged idea of teaching your child in a bubble at home when you've got all the time in the world when the reality strikes that you're trying to balance that with being a teacher still during a very uncertain phase and again she said whilst the slt are fabulous and she loves the school um she knows she's putting the pressure on herself to get things done sadly it means that our own child is often either fending for themselves well, she's trying trying to juggle to get it right, and then you constantly feel like you're failing at something. So, I think the resonating themes that come up is that there's a an element of it's a stressful world at the moment. People are left feeling low and at a loss with no other support out there, and you're either exhausted or burdened with this guilt and a lack of ability to either be a parent at the same time as working from home, and vice versa. So. I thought it was really interesting feedback because it kind of ties in with why we're exploring this topic in the first place. Thanks, Steve. That's a really good summary. And just while you, you mentioned that word guilt, which I think you've probably said mm. about 15 times, it's not just parents feeling that. I know a lot of my colleagues who aren't parents are feeling guilt when they're not at school because they 
they, they work so hard so when they're at home even though they're still working hard and making phone calls because our teachers are phoning home every week and they're doing all their online learning so they're still working really hard and probably at lots of unusual hours some of them have also said to me still feeling guilty that they are not in school or can't do the normal things that they would and and I think your point about people feeling that they can't do what they would normally do to the standard they would do feels frustrating as well because well, at the end of the day we're professionals who are in it to do a really good job so it feels hard to to have such a limitation put on a normal way of of working so I mean Liz and Stuart I'm curious to come back to you because you're kind of you you sit in this really interesting place in education where you're kind of you're not fully in it but you dip your toes in all the time and I'm curious just sort of stood there at the sidelines knowing us teachers really really well kind of what were some of the things standing out for you there from things that Steve was sharing? Yeah, uh, thank you. Um, and it, it's no surprise, um, I, I'm really not surprised, that um, in, in these circumstances, which are, you know, we, we talk about them being unprecedented globally and um, the, the impact that we're experiencing and that you're, you're experiencing is, is, has been so dramatic um, that it's, it's, affected, it's affected everyone, not just the sector of community, but it's affected everyone. And what we're really keen to do is to, is to, is to, is to bring it right back to talk about how we operate as human beings and how it looks from two different places, and I'll, I'll, I'll try and explain it this way. We talk about, um, we talk about true nature, um, and we talk about our, our, our true self. And the, the other element of this, um, and, and my language might be a bit clumsy here, but the other element is, is what we talk about as the separate self. Our, our true self is something that, that is, is, is known to us all, it's awareness, that we are, we are the ones that are aware of, of everything that, that is, is, is going on with our experience. But our experience is, is the domain of the separate self. What can happen when we lose touch with our true nature is that the separate self, the, the the, that place of anxiety, poor me, this isn't good enough, um, my life will be better when, and you know, you can, you can probably write reams and reams and reams of uh, statements in, in, in that, that part of, of the human being, the existence of the human being. So, that, so when we're in that space of true nature, as I was describing earlier on, you know, we start to experience, we slow down, we start to experience nature itself. We, we, we really love the beauty of, of, of everything around us. Everything seems to be richer, more colorful. We, we, we appreciate much more, you know, the things that we have in our lives. And then we get caught up in that area of separation, which takes us away from that space of, who we truly are and and that's the that's the 
conundrum that we have as human beings, that we dip in and out of both, that we'll, one moment we'll feel really in touch with our, who we truly are, and life looks great, and then we'll fall out of it into that space of separation and life can look drastically different. And so it, so it transpires that, that one day um, you might love homeschooling and on another day you hate it. What's, what's going on? on? On one day somebody might, you might have a, a message that there's a parent that wants to speak to you and your heart sinks. And on another day you take the call, you deal with it, and you sail through it. What, what is going on? What's different? So, so we're, we're pointing to something that is, is hard to describe, but we, we're all aware of it. We're all aware of, you know, when we're feeling in a good place, when life looks great, when we feel on top form, whatever the language is of, of um, being in that space of well-being and compare that with when we fall out of it into that place of separation where we believe our thoughts to be true, we, um, our thoughts become our beliefs, they become habits, and they then can become our identity. And the, the good news is, folks, that that is not who you are. You are, and I say you, I mean us all. We are all much more than that. We are all much more equipped to deal with whatever comes our way when we know that fundamentally we're okay in that space of well-being, in that space of true self. Thanks, Stu. And what about you, Liz? Do you have any any of your own reflections as well on on what you're hearing there from those teachers? Yeah, I do. I really, really um, resonate with what people are saying because it sounds to me that that it is very unusual circumstances that that I know it's not just teachers, but but we're talking here to, to teachers that teachers are going through. It's so it's so different from you know you you were going to be in primary school having your sats in the next week or so weren't you it's it's like the the, the whole rhythm of what is a, a very regular rhythm of the school year that that we kind of go through has been very much disrupted and and that's been kind of a rhythm that's gone on for years and years and years and not only that. But in our personal lives as well, we're, we're all dealing with our own stuff, maybe uh, elderly parents or health issues that we've got or close family members have got and then seeing the news and then thinking about the future. And so I think first, it's really, it's really worth saying that that we are experiencing maybe increased sort of ups and downs in our lives sounds to me like a really healthy understandable reaction right at the moment to all of us like I, I, I think there's a lot of people who are thinking a lot more at the moment because we're, we're not so sure what the future's got to hold and 
And we're in, in, in times where we don't really know what normal is ever going to be like. So I think it sounds, you know, I think that sounds like a really understandable response that we do get lost in that thinking uh, a lot more. So that's yeah. the first thing I want to say. Go on, Russell. No, please, carry on. And then the second thing, a, a, a quote came to mind, which I shared with um, a client earlier today, and it's on my computer. I'll find it in, in, in a second it's, uh, so I can sort of read it out correctly. But I think the other thing, and, and I picked up as well that, you know, the, 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 the sense of guilt that, that, you know, often people feel, that, that seems to be um, a, a, a feeling that comes up quite a lot, that, that there's a kind of a sense that you're being split in so many directions and you can't really do justice to any, anything. And, and then for those people that maybe have got a bit of downtime, they feel a bit guilty because they think they should be doing more and everybody else is busy. And, you know, we really can, can find ourselves whipping ourselves up in our heads um, about that too. And again, it's really useful, I find, to, to notice because my feelings are a really great indicator of how I'm seeing and experiencing the world in any one moment. And so I use my feelings um, a little bit like, um, I think we talked about it before, a little bit like a, a light on the dashboard of my car. It's just giving me information. It's kind of letting me know. And feelings of guilt and stress and anxiety well, they're just letting me know that my thinking is really quite revved up in that moment. And that's just useful information. It's really useful information. It's useful because when my feelings are revved up in the moment and Stu comes to me and says something quite innocuous, in my mind, I can have like a, an emotional sort of like, how dare you say that to me? But I know that all that's happened is I'm just kind of lost in that thought storm of thinking at the moment. And if, I can, if I'm able to find this quote, and if I can't, I'll, I'll make sure you, you find it later. But it's, it's this, it's, it's from a chap called um, Jack Pransky. And this really, really helped me. And he says, inadvertently, you're making up your own standards for your behavior, then making up whether you're meeting those standards and then making up how upset you should be because you aren't using your standards. Um, so I'm just going to kind of leave you with that um, one, Russell. And I don't know if that, Steve, I don't know if that kind of resonates. I just think that's a, a wonderful, wonderful quote. I'm really curious about that, how I think in our first podcast or first webinar that we did on this, you talked Liz about where the real distress comes from and you talked about how so often it isn't that first emotion we experience you described it as the layering up on top of that so when we talk about feeling a bit of worry or anxiety around the circumstances we're in you're like that sounds really normal that sounds really healthy where I think we're so accustomed to see negative emotions as something we need to fix as we talked about earlier that we innocently um, then layer up the, the guilt, the shame, the frustration, all those other things we, we then need to fix as a result of feeling a certain way. And I suppose what you're saying is that when we're just a bit kinder to ourselves and we sort of acknowledge that what we're experiencing is really normal and probably felt, uh, you know, the same emotions or thoughts by everybody else in this, in this webinar, 
and it just doesn't seem so big and so daunting. Is is that where, where you're sort of heading with this? Exactly. It, it, it's very, I just think we, we try, try and suppress or we try and resist that which is really natural um, with some of the emotions that we feel. And, and actually, inadvertently, then we give off the wrong signals, I believe, to, to our, our young people because they, they think there's something wrong with feeling those things too. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong. Of course, we, we have to moderate our behaviours. We understand that. You know, we have to keep people safe. But, but actually what we're talking about here is we're just, it, we're kind of saying it, it's okay. It, we're okay to feel these things. And in the same way that you're probably very understanding with youngsters when, when they have a, a, bit of, a bit of a rush of disappointment or, you know, maybe, I don't know, simply I remember seeing my nephew on sports day, I could have cried when he came for like fourth in the race and he, he was so disappointed and distraught and, and, and I just so much wanted to make him feel better. But I also knew that he was, he, of course he was, he, he really wanted to do better in his race and it, it, it was okay. And, and he just needed to know it was okay, that it was okay to feel disappointment. And, and then sure enough, two, three minutes later, he's running around with his friends again. It's, it's okay. Well, you might, you might, in your kindness, have sort of made that a bigger thing, mightn't you? You might have kind of dug into that and gone back through the race and why, you know, he did do really well and, 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 go over that so many times that actually you turn that into an enormous thing so innocently by trying to sort of help him unpick that you could have you could have made that a much larger more daunting experience in his head yeah isn't that so it's a really good way to put it yeah i, I just want to um uh, ask you this russell uh, and steve so we can see how how this how, how liz's description there plays out with a child i just wonder how how this shows up in in adulthood with with colleagues and with with peers, you know, with the um, maybe the uh, sort of drive to make someone feel better, um, or the drive to, um, to 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 maybe um, support support. I, I, I do that. In, support them in a conversation about something that they're upset about just wonder what your thoughts are about that is there anything for you steve that was coming to mind in all of that i've had some really interesting conversations over the last couple of weeks actually um one with a colleague at my own school and uh, they were talking it's similar to the, the quote actually resonated very thoroughly then actually is because they were talking about the fact that they in their own opinion, from what they've seen on the outside with furloughing staff, they were really of the opinion that personally they, they could be furloughed at the moment because they didn't feel they were meeting the standards of their profession. And we, we had a quite animated chat about it um, from the sense of what you're doing is actually what you need to be doing right now. And the pressure that they were putting on themselves to say, well, hold on, this is my expectation and I feel I could, could do better. Um, I'd say, stand back and just think, we're not in that natural environment right now. So whilst you feel you could always do better, sure, everyone does. We, we always do. I've had some fantastic raw teachers at our school who always self-reflect on themselves and really punish themselves for not being at the very best you think you're 
you're on a journey across the whole time. So therefore, yes, great to have self-reflection, but actually sometimes you need to reflect and big yourself up because if not, you would just keep on clawing away yourself and really undervaluing yourself as a person. So going back to this conversation we had about furloughing, I was thinking it was quite, uh, well, it's an interesting insight into their, uh, their headspace at the time, but actually it's just that case of stepping back and knowing standards are vary for everyone. Um, we can set our own ones, but I, I went back to a conversation I had with uh, my dad of, uh, when I was playing football through the years. I used to have a goal chart on my wall and I used to get home every Sunday and be like, oh, zero goals today. And I'd go, absolutely. It will ruin my weekend and the rest of the next week, really, because I'd, I'd really look down on myself. For, I didn't contribute anything to the team today. Um, and it took my dad to say, it wasn't all about just that final article, the final finish of I got a goal then. It was what I made for the whole team. But even through my teens into when I played semi-professionally, in my head, I always had this chart of how did I contribute to that team. So it was going back to setting up my own standards for behaviour and my own expectations for what I wanted to get out of it. But actually, it required me to really step back. And that's what I'm trying to be doing with the staff at the moment who have gone through some really unsettling times. That, that's a really good example, Steve. So you, you had staff come to you um, in a place of uncertainty, often confused thinking. You know, you, you wonder how, how many days they've been tangling with, with, with this conversation themselves. Um, you know, perhaps it's absorbing them at night time, you know, loss of sleep, etc., etc., etc. And what you did there is very quickly point to something much more resourceful about them than getting lost in the drama and all the, the story around them, um, which, which is the, the best service you can be. And, and I, would, I would say this, if this was my, my sort of tip for the day really, it's the best service that we can be is to, is to point to the, the well-being that resides in us all, that innate space of resilience and well-being, that when we experience it and see it for ourselves, that's when we know to take the next step. And your example there is, is uh, a classic. And, and even the fact that they came to you, um, or, or the fact that they came to you with, with that distress, for me, that shows the resilience too. It's, it's a real strength, it's a real positive, and um, it, it feels like you dealt with it beautifully, Steve. Thank you. This thing about holding ourselves to certain standards really got me thinking, Liz. Um, it's kind of got me pondering how much of the guilt and shame we experience in life is, a, is about what we kind of innocently kind of set ourselves these these goals don't don't we that we've got to meet in order to be happy or to be well or yeah it's really challenged me to think differently and at the time we're in at the moment whatever standards you used to hold for yourself just have to look different don't they as a teacher because actually I can't possibly contribute in the same way as I have in the past to running a school you know where I perhaps sort you know got some of my sense of worth through 
some of those chats in the corridors or assemblies and things for me as a deputy that give me a real buzz and a sense that I'm contributing to the school that has to look different doesn't it and you know I, I I don't know whether it was tiredness or exhaustion or whatever but on Friday night I just felt a really really profound sense of um, emotion really a, a, a real sense of um, overwhelm in a positive sense of just pride about my school because I, I just thought gosh this week we've kept all of this online learning ticking over all the teachers just kept that going there's been hundreds of phone calls made home from my staff and you know from some of the calls that you know they've recorded because we log certain calls I can see that they've really you know looked out for the well-being in the kids we've delivered exercise books to over 80 kids who couldn't access online learning we've had food bank deliveries and you know we're hearing little noises through our Twitter account and various um, other places that our community are really valuing what we're doing as a school at the moment and what we're doing looks completely different to the service we used to offer and will offer again but I can't help but think you know we're going to be remembered by our community for really putting well-being first and when I do my um, I'm responsible for our kind of middle phase at the moment when we do our zoom calls what I'm hearing from the teachers is well-being of the kids is their number one priority all the other stuff is lovely and we of course want them to be doing the online learning but it's really lovely to hear that staff are putting kids well-being as the the number one thing and I think there's going to be a lot of talk over the next couple of months about catching kids up and the gaps we've missed in curriculum but well-being is going to be paramount for whatever we do moving forward isn't it absolutely and I think that's what it it came down to the phone calls home that really got us thinking just how important that is because we're good at putting in place the academic side of it generally nine out of ten we've all got very solid it's that extra the icing on the cake the top part which actually when you look at it it isn't just that layer it really trickles down and is the, the being of the person and, and when we're going through times like we are at the moment actually then we need to think about well-being first and foremost everything else comes next because we won't experience this most likely ever again and what these little people are going through at the moment is huge to them whether they're vocalizing it or not there's enough about us to recognize that and how we can influence and aid the well-being and, and I always think as well, I love this conversation. I love that, you know, the, the real depth of, of seeing well-being at the heart of what's important for, for your communities, your school communities at the moment, children, parents, and, and teachers. And I, always, and I always think as well that you are, are leaders in your community when you're in school. Um, whether you are a school leader or not, whether you're a teacher, a teaching assistant, a learning assistant, it doesn't matter. When you're, when you're part of a school, people look to you as leaders in your community. And there's, it really does something for people when they experience that you are in your well-being. When you are really grounded in, in being connected to the well-being of the wider community, when you really see that it's, it's, it's a real heartfelt sense of what's important. And I think we sometimes forget that it's, it's, it's almost like beyond the words, it's, it's underneath the words. That's the bit that people really pick up on and it kind of then ignites it within them. And so probably what you don't realize in your role uh, as, as teachers and leaders within, within the school community and the wider community is that 
that impact that you are having that probably will, will, nobody will actually really be able to nail, but they kind of just feel. So I just want to sort of say that too. Thank you. That's a really nice thing to acknowledge. So it would be really nice perhaps if people could go to the, the, the chat part of the, the Zoom call. And if you've got something that's on your mind, even if it's an observation or a question, we'll, we'll finish in the last few minutes with that. So I'll give you a moment to have a think about that. There's no rush. So um, don't feel you need to type too frantically. But anything that's coming to mind, we've already got someone there obviously talking about their own standards. They, they've been holding themselves to at home with homeschooling and really relate to that. My wife and I had a really interesting conversation about that earlier and about that potential guilt of, of what we're not getting done but actually who, who's inflicting that yeah and just picking up um thank you stacy that what would it look like if if you really saw for yourself that the thoughts that you were having were were, were being created by you they were they were made up and that's not to say you do it deliberately or we do it deliberately but when we actually get to see that thoughts, if we, if, we, if we hook on them, they become, we can become fixated um, that we're you know, not doing a good enough job, we're not good enough. But actually, if we, if we see them and just allow them to go past, something else will come, come our way. And, and it, 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 if we can, it's a good practice to just 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 pause and ask yourself the question am i inadvertently doing this to myself is this something that if i just let go by um you know it, it, it might be that something better comes along it's funny i i want this to all of these webinars to feel really relevant beyond covid19 i think they will be and this thing about holding yourself to certain standards and um, what you're talking about there, Stu, is this kind of illusion of something you believe is coming from the outside that's coming from within around those standards. You know, I've heard people say to me in schools before, and sometimes it's as a, a result of kind of regimes from the past. But, you know, if we don't do this, then you'll you'll say this or you'll think this. And I think, I don't know where that's come from. And it's it, it's made of thought and it might be it might be because of past experiences. But there's a there's a tendency to kind of self-inflict certain standards that we perceive other people would expect of us and I think for teachers at the moment we're in a really strange place with that because we're setting work for at home because we need to and we have a kind of an obligation to but at the same time we I haven't met a teacher yet that's that that stressed out if, if, if some children are not doing everything at home you know they they accept and they know that the children and the families are doing their best and most of the phone calls I've ever heard from teachers um to, to their pupils have gone along the lines of don't worry about it we know you're trying your best just get a bit of reading done if you can and so on that's really interesting because I think teachers are encouraging families and the children to think like that but are they um, applying the same kind compassionate standards to themselves or are they being a bit a bit harsh I think what Shelley says actually about we could be our own worst enemies sometimes because we are the most critical people of our own being aren't we yeah, it's, um, it's a dangerous occupation to compare yourself with others. <laughs> I'm just reading that one. Um, yeah, fundamentally, thought is illusionary. It's, it, it looks and feels real, 
but it's it's actually just energy and we can get fixated by it and believe it to be real and true for us and my invitation for you is to just to just to be aware of that over the next week and i wonder if circumstances might look different if you took if you took your thinking out of the equation that sort of tendency to you know kick yourself because you haven't done enough or you should have done more or better whatever is 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 thought in the moment and it's the good news is it's illusionary if only you see it for that sarah's reflected there on on how easy it can be for us to compare ourselves with 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 our equivalents in other schools and whatnot and i, I feel that as a leader as well you know have i set the right systems up and you know you get wind of schools that have done it differently or have gone really online with lessons and we haven't gone that way and you find yourself doubting yourself and I think what I'd really encourage people to do there is just pause and think have I done the very best I can in the circumstances has it come from a place of caring has it come from a place of you know for teachers you've you've done what you've been directed to do um, and you have done your very very best in the circumstances and if you're prioritizing well-being and you're doing your very best to keep some sort of learning ticking over then you are doing a fantastic job and I think that's what everyone needs to hear even if it looks different you know you might have one school who is um, you know doing loads of the academic rigor and that can feel really like oh I'm not doing enough and then another school like my own where you know we're phoning every single child every single week I don't know many schools that are doing that now I'm not saying that's making anyone else feel bad it's just different it's just what we've decided for our community at the time when I had 24 hours to make some decisions was right. And actually, you know, we're learning as we go along and we're seeing what's right and wrong. And I've been reflecting that maybe in the next week or so, I might just like to put a little feeler out to parents about their views, about how they're finding everything, just to, just to get a sense of, of how we're doing. But everyone has done their very best in an incredibly short amount of time to serve their communities. And yeah, I think that's admirable. Just that point, Russell, that we often, reflect on things that haven't gone very well and, and, and give ourselves a kicking for it but just know this that everyone's doing the doing the best they can with the information and the thinking that they have at, at that time it's only after the after the fact that we can look back and make a judgment on it and it's just not a very very healthy space often to to spend much time in but if everybody's doing the best they can that's about the best you can do and mm. then you know, move on and i think that's that's a really healthy challenge to a lot of established um school cultures we've had sandy's here and her school has become known as the the kind of the thinking school i'm going to be talking to your head um colvin soon about the kind of approach they've taken there which is to nurture a reflective non-judgmental kind of culture and i that's something i really aim for for our school that's something that i really believe in that i want to do more of in the future and i think this is a good time to stop and think about that kind of culture that we want for our school you know now in the midst of this what's been described as a crisis but when we go back as well we want kinder less judgmental um, environments in which to work where people can feel brave and that they can take risks and go for things and, and and try things out because actually that's all that's all we can do at the moment isn't it this is uncharted we've never had a, a trial run at um q 
keeping some sort of education going during a, a global pandemic, you know. So we're all just doing our best in the circumstances. And I think this is a good time to, I don't know, foster that culture of risk taking and, and doing what's right for your community. And hopefully I'd love to see that last in schools beyond this, this crisis. And I really like as well that I think what what would really what really helps foster what you're what you're talking about there the non-judgmental culture is is when when people within that school community and culture start to realise that fundamentally they're okay and that they can get lost in their thinking sometimes. Mm. What naturally is a, a symptom of seeing that for themselves is that they tend not to get on that thought train and, and, and to mix my metaphors, whip up that thinking and, and kind of find themselves lost in it. So the sooner that, that we notice us going in and out of those, those moods and thoughts, the, the sooner we are kind of self-correcting and coming back to center. And it's when we're in that, 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 that clarity, that space of clarity, that we, we tend not to be so judgmental on ourselves or others. Mm. It's, it's a natural consequence. It's not something we're trying to do to be non-judgmental because then you just start adding the guilt on because you think, oh, I'm not doing it right. It's a, it's a symptom of actually being kinder to yourself is a symptom of you being, uh, having a greater understanding of how you actually operate. Yeah, absolutely. And it's got me thinking again about how easily we, how naturally we do that with the children, that we want to foster cultures of um, risk-taking and going for it and being more confident we talk about that all the time as teachers in our classrooms with our children and actually do we do we allow that for ourselves and for our colleagues i hope so but it's something that that yeah it's a good time to to think about that message again and sandy's talked about you know that kind of community will allow people to find their true selves that you keep referring to um Stu, in your comments and just just that that comment really excites me that that um the, the, the wider school community that you folks have got a big influence um in um you know really needs you right now and when when you're operating from that space of of clarity the, the ripple effect of of your groundedness will will, will be so sustaining for the school and for for the for the for the, uh, for the parents, you know, for colleagues who are having a bit of a wobble, and, and and just know that it's okay to have a wobble because they are fundamentally okay at their core. Yeah, you you you're actually looking to foster that. You're looking to to really increase that if you like, and and encourage that activity, that that sort of groundedness and strength of of. Of, of the influence of true self. Beautiful. Liz, Steve, any final thoughts for you before we say goodbye tonight? I just think that's a very poignant way to end the conversation, actually. <clears throat> I enjoy this week on week, but actually I think today's been extremely interesting and very thought-provoking, and I hope everyone can take a lot away. So, personally, thanks to Stu and Liz, but and thank you to everyone for joining, but Russell, I don't know about you, but I found that fantastic tonight. Really nice conversation. Felt really relevant to where everyone is at the moment. Sincere thanks to you all for what you're doing. Yeah. Really, really, really beautiful. Thank you.
Wonderful. Well, we hope we see you all next week. We haven't decided the theme yet, but um, give us a bit of a shout if there's something that crops up in the next week for you and keep that kind of curiosity going about where your experience is coming from and let us know um, kind of how things go, really. But thank you for keep coming back. It's really lovely to see all your faces each week, all your names on a little grey screen. <laughs> Have a really wonderful week, everybody. Don't keep the deputy.